And welcome to the Dicer Screaming Podcast. Yes, yes, the Dicer Screaming. <laughs> the bogus treasure map of gaming podcasts. Yeah, it, it, it's not even <laughs> worth an X on the map. Yeah, it, it gets the Y on the map. For why bother? You lose half the party on a transatlantic voyage to uh, some faraway land. Uh, you, you make your way uh, with <laughs> your remaining party left. And finally, finally, you get to the point indicated on the map for absolutely nothing. An old boot, uh, moldering copper, a bag full of uh, tarnished copper coins and a rusty dagger. Yay, some, you. Yeah, some kelp. Yeah, that's us, though. Hey, and tuna carcass that washed up last hey, week. You. So that's what we are. We are the kind of like, ah, why even bother? The but, bogus treasure map. Don't trust it. Yeah. Uh, trust, but verify. So coming at you here, it's uh, episode 238. Uh, for those folks listening, I'm Randy. I'm provably Mike. Provably, but not certain. And together we form the gestalt that is the two-headed literary end of gaming podcasts, The Dice is Gaming. And uh, as a note on that, I want to congratulate everybody in getting us over the 20,000 listens mark. Holy cow, I never thought we'd get here, but here we are. And it didn't take that long either. It was just a while ago we were talking about 10,000 listens. Yeah, I know. It, it, it was not that long ago that uh, it was, you know, 10K. Uh, so uh, the, the degree to which they accumulate seems to be increasing. Yeah. Uh, now, so... That said, it's a happy occasion. So yeah, we just got done with the Harn podcast, and uh, you know, uh, look back at Harn and Harn Master. Not a lot of people play it, and I think it's been overlooked. Which, hey, that's why we bring it up there. And uh, we're going to be doing a couple segments here. We're going to be uh, today reviewing Troll Pack, but we're going to get to that in a minute. We're going to do a review. Uh, we do have one call in. Oh, bravo! One call in. One lone caller enters the fray. One color enters, no colors leave. Oh, well, a few of them leave, but uh, they're never seen again. Break a deal, spin the wheel. Hey, well, you know, uh, we've got that, and plus a little bit more. Phone call, uh, Thunderdome. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I don't want to. I don't want to get too into that. Yeah, that's 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 that's, that's a little too much. Oh, come on. You don't want to find out who runs Barter Town? No, no, really not. <laughs> I'm just visiting. I'm out. Oh, man. All right. All right. Enough of my dated movie references. I can't help myself. I'm over-caffeinated and exhausted. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we're going to get into the call-ins, but we'll be right back. This is a first-time caller, too. And we love our first-time callers. So take it away, first-time caller, long-time listener. Hey, Mike. Hey, Randy. Matthew Schneer here, long-time listener, first-time caller. And I got to say, thanks for the shout-out. It's true, I am a brony. Say it loud, say it proud. I know it's not for everyone, but if you don't mind animated musicals, there is a lot a new and developing game master could learn from watching My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. Uh, the final season just wrapped up in 2019, and I think that it will hold up as a standard for story structure and character development for a long time. Uh, that being said, if the thought of musical theater and show tunes sets your teeth on edge, you should definitely stay away from this. As you've said on the show before, um, you should like what you like, and you don't have to like everything. Um, that's it. Love you guys. Happy holidays and a blessed new year. Out. All right. 
right. And thanks, Matthew, for the call-in. First time. Oh, yeah, man. It's always good to hear your voice. Ah, you know. First time call-in. Long-time listener, though. This is a fellow from our regular our collection of regular gamer table folks. Ah, you know, over the last... Uh, yeah, one years. of our cronies, but... Uh, yeah, this, this is, you know, one of... Uh, uh, what our guild? Nah, I'm probably better. And that means that I stand with you no matter what, toe to toe against the enemy, even if we have radically, radically different tastes in entertainment. Still, he is one of us. Yeah, I think that it's appropriate that Matthew mentions the writing and some of the storylines. A good new, a good a course would for a new DM could be to follow some of those storylines and arcs even removed of the trappings of the uh my uh little pony or yeah is it my little pony? Well, yeah mlp yeah my little pony and uh friendship is magic i don't think that if you can uh you can stray too far from success so it, the fact that it's attracted a good fan base and... I, I hate to go all mimi but uh you know <laughs> i take the 40k approach friendship is magic Magic is heresy. Mm. Friendship is heresy. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I can't help myself. I, uh, the whole uh, dancing musical theater thing uh, never did it for me. Yeah. Which, yeah, you know, I know that in itself is a heresy given you know, like those who know anything about me from past episodes. They should know that like I would be the person in the room most suspect for liking a lot of musical theater. Uh, I, I actually have a near psychotic aversion to it. Uh, really does not I mean, outside of like Rocky Horror Picture Show. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, and maybe Repo Man, the genetic opera, because like who doesn't like, you know, Anthony Head with a chainsaw, you know, coming to reclaim organs. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I can barely handle it at the best of times. But no, it's just really cool to hear Matt's voice. Good to see yeah, you. and it's a great message that he brings. So, yeah, uh, I think uh, it's a very positive uh, message. Happy holidays to you and your kith and kin, as well as your household, Matthew. Thank you very much. And, uh, yeah, blessings to your whole house, man. Yeah, and to all of you listeners out there, happy holidays, however you celebrate it. Yeah, we're going to say happy holidays, but I could say Merry Christmas and Happy Yule as well. Oh, and Happy Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got friends and pretty much... Uh, the holiday reference for me is really just a default because if you know enough people who are wildly, wildly different in their approach to this season, uh, and I do, uh, then it winds up being a utilitarian default so that it expresses my goodwill to every single person that I am addressing uh, without leaving any of them out. Uh, (laughs) Also easier to remember than like, you know, chasing down the exact right term for the exact right person every time. <coughs> uh, but yeah, I, I like to think that when you consider uh, how long ago people have been using the term happy holidays, like, you know, many, many years, not not like just 20 or 30, not, not recently. When you really think about it, you go back to some classic old songs. Uh, it, it means that the people who were fighting World War II were using that phrase all the time, too, and for the exact same reasons that I just mentioned. Uh, so uh, <laughs> kind of hard to suggest that uh, the people of the 1940s had succumbed to PC lunacy and were obedient slaves in the war on Christmas uh, since, you know, they predate all of that chatter and nonsense. Mm-hmm. You know what they were doing? After coming out of a world that had gone into total war based on uh, genocidal race hatred, uh, they had concluded that uh, trying to be in 
inclusive to everybody and polite and respectful was a nice thing. Uh, I tend to stand with them since yeah, it's a pretty, pretty broad-minded thought on their part. All right. Yeah, I think they had a firm well, grasp. I that, yeah, stuff. I think they had a firm grasp as well. It, uh, always, we tend to always look back as the yeah, older generations as the greater ones, but I think that in this case, it's well deserved. I love so, Christmas. It makes me love everybody and everything. I just like I, I, I have a famously grumpy demeanor, uh, but like I'm Ebenezer Scrooge the rest of the year, and then this one time of year, uh, Grinch like my heart grows three sizes, and I'm just like. Ah, season of love. It's the, the death of the world and the the rebirth. And everybody, like children, are getting set to get presents. The whole world is smiling and bustling and all of that. I dig it. I'm in. Well, we hope you're having a good one out there. So anyway, talking about some things that uh, aren't very holiday-like. Uh, we kind of wrestled with talking about this, and we're still kind of with two minds, but I'm going to go ahead and pull the trigger on it. Uh, if you haven't been in awares lately, a company calling itself TSR Incorporated, and we're just going to call them New TSR because <laughs> almost nobody there. I think Ernie Gygax is, and it is like New Coke, yeah. okay, with approximately the same level of robust success. <laughs> right. So, anyway, to set the context here, <laughs> sorry, dude, I didn't mean to bust your monologue. I just had to get well, the you, New Coke reference. You've out. been very successful so far, so don't let that stop you. I mean, I, hey, you're on a roll today. <laughs> so, anyway, yeah, to set the context here, a uh, company called calling itself TSR Incorporated, and it's actually an LLC. But they're using the logo, and they're all the things of the old game wizards. And currently, they're involved in a lawsuit over the use of the diversity clause in Wizards of the Coast classic products by claiming somehow that this is egregious to the sensibilities of old-school gamers who like these classic products that somehow marks them as bigots or things like that, which is preposterous at best. Yeah, I, I want to pause for a moment and uh, remind people that uh, if you have any knowledge of publishing and publishing history, uh, and then, you know, the lawsuits and legal requirements that surround that, uh, it is mind-bogglingly unheard of to suggest uh, that you could make a civil suit for slander or libel or something of that nature mm -hmm. over an incredibly broad disclaimer that mentions no one by name. Uh, it identifies that, you know, in the reissue of some vintage products, uh, that some of the material is potentially upsetting to modern readers because the same consideration that we exercise today was not used 40 years ago. <laughs> 30, 40, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, in some cases, 40. Yeah. But most of the so, cases, about what their direct market talking about is about 30 years ago. There was a different sensibility in the world and in the gaming. Now, applying a vague disclaimer industry. like that is totally within a corporation's rights as part of protecting their brand identity. Uh, and this is a thing that, you know, in a, how do I put this, in a, in a privately held uh, view of mine that, I suppose, you know, it's not often that I am pro-corporate, but one of the things that I do yep. understand and one of the things that I continue to be pro-corporate about in terms of what are the, the extent of a corporation's rights, the protection of their brand and the identity of that brand is 100% their responsibility and their right. Uh, so 
never has anybody said like having a disclaimer like this is an insult to other people. Therefore, you can't do that and you should pay us money or stop doing it. That is a nuisance lawsuit that does not pass the sniff test. And no one who has ever been employed in any form of, uh, you know, publishing law uh, professionally, like who has tried cases like these for civil court, would ever have embraced this. You had to get some loon who, like, you know, got their degree uh, on some foreign island you know, for like a dollar and a half. Or, or the, they, back, they, of they a cereal box. the back of a matchbox or something like that and mailed it to Montana. And, you know, anyhow, it boggles the mind that anybody thought that this would work. So it may actually have constituted a crime to have done something this ludicrous uh, and wasted both parties. Right. Time. And they're founding uh, this TSR by Justin Lanonsa, if you know the name. You can go Google it, or you can go look on YouTube. He has several videos stating their stance. Anyway, he can do his speaking for himself. We're just going to take you to task. Remember when we left the ROR OSR, and some people kind of jumped on us about that, or said they, and a, a couple I people actually that, went off half cocked about it because I think there were a couple of legitimate critiques. Sure, that, absolutely. Like, yeah, we were uh, painting with a broad brush. Yeah, but in this case, no. No, this is exactly who we were talking about, and these were the people that... I would say that this is the atmosphere that we were talking about. The intentional misconduct, sure. the the fraudulent uh, behavior, the, the money-grubbing, uh, you know, the hasty exploitation of gamers on the internet to generate cash and clickbait. Okay, that that is what we're talking about. Okay, this... That there is was worth some avoiding other it. things as well, but yeah, I think not being a part of that is a big part of why, since some of the people doing these things very fiercely proclaim themselves to be old school and old school revolution, they really want to tie themselves to that. We don't want to be anywhere near that because some of that is such a repugnant behavior that it is embarrassing to even watch it happen much right. less use, to, uh, like attach ourselves to it and go well i'm kind of peripheral but i, I don't want to be well if you don't want to be you walk away that's what we did so i, I feel our decision was justified but I, I don't think people's critiques about the broad brush were inaccurate i, I actually sympathize i with think them. they missed the mark i'm gonna take it to task they didn't listen and because we were very clear about why we were leaving some due to the Adherence to racism and bigotry that were apparent in that hobby. But here's the other part, too, that was also we didn't talk about. So here we are talking about it now and try to summarize it. Is it you know you really messed up when you get me on the side of a big corporation. And this is what they've done is basically here I am cheering a big corporation for bullying the small guy. Because usually I'm on the other side of it. I'm like, hey, go little guy. But you're not serving anybody's interests here. All Justin Lanza and his ilk are doing are ad grifting you. And if well, you yeah, take they, a part of this, the Indiegogo campaign that they've set up, they will get every dollar of this, whether it funds or not, whether this is successful or not. And it's a grift. And they should be ashamed of themselves for using the TSR Incorporated logo because it appeals to so many people's well, nostalgia and good feelings. Yeah, notice that the first attack launched failed as like i think everybody knew it would right they filed the it in north it. carolina and then now i want everybody to like focus back on what i mentioned about anybody being familiar with any degree of publishing law 
would have an understanding that this was implausible in the extreme and that it was actually ridiculous and possibly an actual violation, okay, that there were consequences that would come from this. Now, we can assume one of two things. Either the person who then launched that lawsuit leading to the counter strike from Wizards of the Coast, either A, was genuinely that incompetent and had no idea, okay, like literally knew nothing about any kind of publishing law at all, had no idea and just wandered in and went, I don't know why this is happening to me. Or B, they understood that they were going to fail and that then there would be a countersuit and that then they would need to make an appeal for money. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're wondering why they launched this bold attack instead of, I don't know, for instance, creating a product and then touting the, that to sell well, it. Well, they did that. They, <laughs> they attempted to do that, but that backfired in so many different ways that it, it would be an episode in and of itself. Yeah, I would just like to say... A lot of their creatives do seem to have a habit of like getting talked into joining on and then discovering that oh, wow, this is more like a political movement than a game company. And then they back out and go, I don't really feel comfortable being associated with you people, which, surprise, that's exactly how we felt with the term OSR for Mm -hmm. exactly the same reasons. Right, and if you enjoy classic games and old school gaming, uh, well, we still back that. Uh, We were still part of it. As a matter of fact, that leads us to the next part of the episode. The mysteries of the future are being parted before you, and the veil of time and space falls apart. No, it's not the dread gaze of the arcane eye that is upon you. It is the Oniromancy. Or oh, no, 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 the Tassiomancy. The Tassiomancer, okay. Tassiomancer. See, I get so confused. It moves on so much. Yeah, all right. You know, it's almost time for the Tassiomancer to go, but I was hanging on for a couple more weeks because I am that caffeinated. Oh, right. Uh, I have to be, or I would be unconscious by about 4 p.m. every day. Because mm. uh, I... He turns into a pumpkin early. Yeah, what most of my days start uh, before, like hours before sunup. But so. yes, but what, so what does the Tassio Mancer have for us? I don't know. Oh, didn't the we Tassio Mancer is completely unprepared. Uh, the Tassio Mancer was to- foretold in Karnak fashion. Uh, we're going to cover, in old school modules series just a pair that have quite a lot of interludes and links to one another make a very nice little mini campaign it's the sentinel and the gauntlet okay one and two okay sentinel and gauntlet sorry i forgot oh well it has been recovered from the veiled mists of memory yeah the tassiomancer is over caffeinated and gets comparatively well well i think then the tassiomancer needs to come uh, I may have to find another form of divination, which so far, in keeping with my pattern, whenever a form of divination has failed me, I move on to the next one. No. So, uh, folks, if you're if you're planning to listen to the next podcast, uh, episode 231, we'll see the new form of divination that I use, because uh, I only change it oh. when I fail. <laughs> well, and we've got that one planned out, too, as long as... The- which is also why it's changed so much. <laughs> so, uh... Yeah, next week we'll be doing our review and overlook on UK 1 and 2, Sentinel and Gauntlet. Yeah, I remember both of those modules. Uh, so that's a great comfort to me because I, it, honestly, uh, I could theoretically get away with doing absolutely no homework of any kind. But I like to do some restudy and reacquaintance just on general principle and to augment certain talking points yep so we're gonna i could totally get away with just 
you know, banging it out on base knowledge because I loved those. Oh, yeah, just go right in the wave. But, uh, yep, we'll be there with that next week. So, heads up. Yeah, they are terrific products. Uh, you know, they are UK classics uh, from the same fine clique of folks that brought you, uh, uh, well, the UK division of TSR back in the 80s. Uh, also brought you the Sinister Secret of Salt Marsh and the Salt Marsh Trilogy of Modules, which I was a huge fan of. So when British other British modules began to pop out, I was like, I'm in. Right on. And per usual, they have great thought behind them. So we will be discussing that next week. All right. Okay, so we're going to just uh, take a quick break here and be back right after that. So stick around. All right, and we're back from that brief break. Hope you enjoyed, and again, uh, thanks for tuning in. What we're, you're probably here for is the Troll Pack, so... Yeah, RuneQuest Troll Pack by so, Chaosium. Uh, one of the classic outings reissued. Yes, and it's currently available. Uh, you can get our print-on-demand or the PDF. It uh, initially was in a small little box set with three books. And uh, later, Avalon Hill, when they acquired the RuneQuest license, they uh, divided it into two small box sets as well, kind of padding it up, and now the Troll Pack pretty much has it all. This was uh, initially by uh, Greg Stafford, Sandy Peterson, and the other guys, including Charlie Crank. Uh, illustrated by Lisa Free, this is a grand look at the ideas of the troll or as they call themselves the us and they consist of several races and they are both a blessed and cursed race they have the originator race which predates gods and many of the enemies of traditional rune quest the dark mistress race gave birth to them and they have pretty much been happy living in darkness throughout their entire existence until of course the light bringers and then yeah, the <laughs> sun came to the realm, and they've never quite... And, of course, the entrance of chaos into their world as well. Yeah, which, hey, just a hint, uh, in defense of the trolls, uh, they come out looking pretty sharp in there. Yeah, despite you know? all the best efforts of gods, circumstances, and chaos, they still survive. Uh, not to mention, you know, they stood in opposition to the encroachment of chaos, uh, bravely. Mm -hmm. Mighty troll warriors were felled, standing in the path of chaos, uh, refusing to surrender their own realms. I I loved this book. Uh, I I am going to reference uh, the mother goddess they have there that uh, resembles the Venus of Willendorf statues uh, that Lisa Free has illustrated there. Uh, You'd find it on uh, page 21 of this new edition, but uh, it's extremely reminiscent of or the reissue sorry it's not a new edition Just, yeah the, this reissue but uh <clears throat> the corasting amulet uh that is their way of you know, uh, remembering their mother goddess is extremely reminiscent of the famous venus of willendorf which mm-hmm. is a almost neolithic period mother goddess uh image so this it lives up right from the get-go to my expectations from the crew of RuneQuest. This was not some little hack job where they slapped together whatever they, you know, could think up on the fly. Uh, Per usual, as with every product they have ever created, 
you know, Stafford, Peterson, and Perrin uh, really put their heads into it. Yeah, 1982, when it first came out, it blew a lot of people's minds. I mean, if you look at some of the publications all over the industry, from White Dwarf to the uh, Dragon Magazine, man, they gush all over this. And rightfully so, because it is the first treatment of a fantasy race that's given the full measure. I mean, yeah, yeah we had the ecology of it, and we'd like to cover those in Dragon, I think, as a future episode. So, Oh, the ecology episodes from Dragon Magazine, yeah, which expanded how... on monster ecologies, how they live, what they live on, what is meaningful to them. Yeah. Well, this, 1982, uh, expanding the relevance and importance of an entire race of creatures uh, that initially, when you played RuneQuest for the first time, trolls were not something you wanted to run afoul of unless you were fairly strong and well-prepared. Uh, because they could be dangerous. Uh, they have a lot of hit points. And yeah, they're, they're tough. They're very tough. Uh, and voracious. I mean, they, they they can eat just about anything. And by when I say that, I mean they can digest almost everything. And they can live off air, which makes them flashlights. But hey, that's what you get. Yeah, they will eat air if they absolutely have to and have no other choice. Uh, also included dirt and rocks, which uh, I guess uh, that is considered like to a troll, it is the least desirable of meals. Uh, yeah. And if something, if they say that, like, oh, this tastes like dirt, that's actually a poisonous insult to the other chef. Because um, they hate dirt. Like, uh, but if they have to, they can live on it. Now, for a oppositional creature that was the enemy of player characters everywhere in early RuneQuest, here's an expansion of the concept that not only gave them an anthropological and cultural history that was rich and unique and well-crafted, uh, but a religious life, uh, you know, a history, mythologies of their own, uh, and usability as actual player characters. Right. So, and this was one that basically made an, a race that could be looked at as potentially adversarial or evil as part of the group. And that yeah. you could be understood in some of the outlooks. Now, of course, uh, it came in three books, the Uz lore, the Book of Uz into into Uzdom, which were basically like their troll. The, the lore was basically their legends and their mythical history, who they are, how they view themselves in the cosmos, and more importantly, their gods. Uh, Kyger Lightor is the mother goddess of the troll race, and she is much like Ernalda in Glorantha. She is almost omnipresent in almost all communities. But here, the trolls are a matriarchal race. One would think a race of savage, beefy, uh, club-bashing monsters would be pretty much led by males. Well, you'd be wrong. No. Yeah, you would be completely off the mark. Uh, you know, this... <laughs> it does hauntingly remind me a little bit of... Uh, oh, what am I thinking of here? Eater of the Dead by... Uh, yeah. That, that they made into the 13th Warrior. It does. It Michael does. Crichton's Eater of the Dead. They're... You know, a semi-cannibalistic, primitive people, uh, and you know they are. Oh, if you misjudge them as primitive, you but, would be. But don't think them stupid or unsophisticated. That would be a terrible mistake. Yeah, they don't use fire. That's one of their big things. Their yeah. culture completely subsists without fire or forging. They use lead, and they're extremely strong and beefy, so they can lift up a lot of those objects and move them around very easily. So technologically and as a culture, they have advanced. And when you really pause for a moment and think about like the, the value of this 
as an alternative, like science fiction fantasy view of anthropological development of a culture. If you removed what we think of as the primary building block of civilization and you took that out, gone, what would mankind's technology be like without fire? That that's a weighty question. Now, in that, in this with the trolls, they have advanced that culture millennia all without the use of fire and examined how does this shape and impact the decisions they have made, the craftsmanship that they undertake. What do they work with and how do they work with it? And can it be done without fire? And if it can be done without fire, that's how they do it. And if it can't, that's not a part of their culture. And that <laughs> Amazing. We're talking big think here, people. Lessons can be learned from every DM who wants to be a self-creative, where you're building a world, you're building a new culture. Uh, take notes, because this, this is the kind of source material that you should take a look at for a perfect example of how to do that yourself. It is A+. plus, Right. And the uh, second book, The Book of Buzz, talks about that in their culture. It's basically like how the third, the second book, excuse me, is more how to play a troll. If you play a dark troll, which is probably going to be the other one. Do you even troll, bro? But you could also play a trollkin, which is the kind of uh, little squabs, run, yeah. runnies. Little mini trolls that like, you know, partial trolls that sometimes happen. Yeah. And uh, they're tolerated and often abused and eaten. <laughs> but that's all part of their culture. <laughs> Kicked around. I am going to say that uh, <laughs> um, the, the, uh, isn't there, what was the position of the trollkins in a troll ball game? That's part of the ball. Yeah. To yeah, play the ball. That's right. And troll ball, the <laughs> trollkins are the ball. No. no. <laughs> you don't get a choice. And uh, yeah. and then finally, the book of, or Into Usdom, is more of an adventure. So if you're going to play a group of trolls completely in the troll culture, here's a place to do it. Yeah, and they have provisions, of course, bringing traditional characters into the troll realms, yeah. which is kind of frightening. One of the troll greetings is to throw a blanket over your head. <laughs> and say, may I, my darkness protect you because they heal in darkness. Yeah. So, um, and you know, darkness is not a great impediment to them. Oh, absolutely not. So, they don't use their eyes as much as they use, this, uh, they use sonar. Yeah. Them trolls are smart. They use sonar. They hear and smell. Uh, you know, they, they have actually a, despite their reputation for eating anything, they have an incredibly refined palate that recognizes a lot of subtleties and nuance and flavor that other people cannot. Uh, uh, so in many respects much like a bloodhound it's like oh oh my god this this week old dead fish is fantastic uh you know and the rest of you may be going oh oh god spot why uh but the dog is in heaven they're like oh 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 it's perfect it, it, it's reached exactly that right point where it, <laughs> but that's the troll's nose and they took time out to explain uh, that little cultural difference in that difference in behaviors. Mm -hmm. It's not because of their crudity, but because of their subtlety and their difference. Uh, so, yeah, another win for the anthropology people over at Chaosian uh, and RuneQuest. Yeah, and, you know, the point was is that these guys are doing stuff like this. Along with Game Designers Workshop, uh, with their alien anthologies and inclusion of... Yeah, the Varga and Aslan seemed pretty easy. But when it was the Kakri and some of the other Hivers, really alien creatures that have no analog to any human precepts, like 
the hivers, I mean, they're constantly breeding with each other, leaving their young behind, they have constantly sporing, and that's what they do. Yeah. They just go everywhere. But they are friendly and gregarious. Normally you'd think, that, oh, the hivers, must have, they sound like the Zerg. No, no, no. no, no they're actually fairly old. friendly and congenial, and uh, they're here, they... That's why uh, they're constantly breeding all the time and spreading their uh, young, but they don't care. If they survive, they survive. If they don't, they don't. Yeah, well, they're busy making an awful lot of themselves, so it's not really an issue to them. I mean, that's, yeah, and that's... they realize it balances it out in the grand scheme of things. But also highly intelligent, and they don't use sight. That's another thing. Yes, they see, but they don't use it in the way they see spectrums. <laughs> and that, then, like a brine shrimp yeah which i actually have like a whole brine shrimp envy thing going on because as a guy who has spent years painting and has incredible color acuity i am haunted by the knowledge that there is a creature on the earth that registers way more colors in the spectrum than i can and i'm actually like professionally jealous of that like there are more out there to be recognized if i just had the visual well it turns out that, that you know one thing uh <laughs> Regale yourself in having one of the best eyesights in the animal kingdom. And also the mantis or brine shrimp, as it's called, really still only see seven colors. It's just the different spectrums. They see pain. I don't know. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> they see fear as a color. No, that the intensity of them means different things in their environments because that splits in a lot of their prey that have camouflage patterns mm. would fool us. Don't fool them. And as it turns out, yes, that they have different uh, sensory arrays. They also have the ability to see in the infrared, which we lack. Now, you know, once again, the troll pack uh, takes a look at another race, much the way the you know uh, game designers workshop and the traveler people did. And you know, mad kudos to the folks at game designers workshop back in the day because they worked hard. Uh, knowing as much as they did about popular science fiction of the day, uh, to develop some races that were viable, understandable, uh, and yet sharply different from humanity, uh, intentionally so. Now, some of them may have had concepts that are much more familiar to us, but they were trying yeah, like as hard as they could to, to push the boundary there and say, not everything in the universe is going to be just like us. Yeah, it was easy to view the Varger, just like the trolls as warriors. But there is many in the Varger. There are many that are lawyers, yeah, investors, bankers, as well as policemen and or law enforcement and pilots. As there are any and philosophers and thinkers and scientists, and, and much the, the same here with the trolls. Uh, you know, the folks at Chaosium did the same thing, developing a viable culture that obviously you know is not going to. Uh, be robustly successful uh, unless it has those crafts uh, and, you know, those management skills, uh, you know, not to mention leadership uh, and enough continuing structure that it doesn't collapse into anarchy every time they turn around. I, they did this fantastic job putting this together. And I, I want to be uh, perfectly upfront about the fact that this was my first read through of the troll pack. Uh, I yeah. have never read it before. Now, like I, I do have RuneQuest knowledge and I have been a player in RuneQuest uh, going back many, many years. But I had never read Trollback because I, I tended to, if it was a system I wasn't going to DM, 
I avoided reading DM source material mm. uh, intentionally because yeah. I know the DM and he'll know if I suddenly start spouting stuff out. We know each other and we know that it's a thing that can happen. We, we've had to have a carefully established level of trust as two very old school DMs who periodically switch places and play. Uh, so like having XDMs at your table is a unique challenge. You, you have to come to an agreement mm -hmm. on like appropriate behavior at the table is not. Um, okay, you enter a room with a 40 foot high glowing red idol that uh, has two uh, large gems in the eye sockets and is holding an enormous brazier in which uh, a fire burns. And then like, you know, the, the person sitting on the other side of the screen goes, okay, uh, I become invisible immediately move to the back of the room, uh, staying as far away from the red tiles on the floor as possible. <laughs> move to the back of the room, climb up the back of the idol using the little uh, handheld catches that have been placed there by the evil priesthood. And then I go up and I only remove the left eye because the right one is cursed. Okay, not acceptable at all. Yeah, right. You cannot be doing that as, as a DM. Who knows Let's go have a conversation. Yeah. So we, we nerfed all that stuff back when we were like 14, 15, sorted it out. Uh, but I had not read Troll Pack, and I lacked appreciation for just how awesome this was. So if I seem a little egregiously over-enthusiastic, it's because I have finally there absorbed this. There isn't a lot to critique in this one. I mean, No. Where would you fit hate except, like, okay, well, I didn't want that much detail. Okay. Okay, fair. fair. Right. right. When I read it and I was really taken away with it, I wanted to play a dark troll just after reading it. Now, yeah. the other part was, is I kind of wanted to include this in my D&D game with trolls having this kind of background, but I immediately recognized, realized that that's just not going to happen. D&D yeah. trolls are a lot different. If you're thinking of the savage, almost brutal killers that the troll the eating machines that the trolls are, okay, there's a similarity here. However, they also regenerate, but these trolls regenerate at a much slower rate and only in total darkness. Yeah. And so it takes a lot longer for them to heal than a troll does typically in D&D where fire and acid. But, yes, they also don't like fire. But Or daylight. You know, they're, not, they're not particularly fond of daylight like most of the North. But since there are different types of trolls, there are a few types that are more tolerant of daylight than others. Right. Uh, and some that are let you know, distinctly less tolerant, that are really dependent on darkness to fully function. So I, I toyed with the idea of just bringing them in with Tolkien, a different, yeah. Uh, you know, more present here in in the troll pack version of a troll than in the D and D version of a troll. Yeah, D and D's trolls were just these, you know. Uh, eating machines that you know have one setting, and that's charge and you know bite and tear charge, bite, tear. They don't have a middle ground or a lot of conversational skills. Uh, you're either potentially edible or you're not. And that is the extent of your importance to a troll. RuneQuest that turned that right on its head back in 82. Just said, nope, that's not, we're, we're going a whole other way with this. Right. And if you wanted to include them in D&D, &D, you could just call them by their name, the Uz. Yeah. And have at it with that. Which it's always multi, uh, it was versed for a lot of different games in actuality, even though it was squarely set in RuneQuest, pardon me, Gulantha. It certainly made quite an impact on gamers, and it set the standard for what I feel is looking at a lot of the um, 
there for the standard of encountering and developing races as not only just player characters for the more powerful stats, but also as a unique and diverse culture that you could explore or interact with. So the uh, back part of it too, as I see my page through it, uh, has some interesting glimpses into troll life, and especially they have their own currency. Oh, yes. <laughs> Was it Clars? Yeah. And uh, they're just beaten pieces of lead. Yeah, yeah. They they make use of things. Uh, it, it, lead's importance to them is because of its incredible malleability, and when you combine trollish strength with a metal that is malleable, that can be altered by nothing but physical force without heat, without fire. Lead is really their principal, you know, metallic. Uh, yeah. And they're choice. also not poisoned by it. They're very hardy. Yeah. It, you know, doesn't do them any harm. But However, when trolls offer you a metal drinking cup and it's made of pure lead. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Stick with the wooden cup. And yeah, tr that brings us to the <laughs> other part is that troll alcohol is almost pure poison to everybody oh, oh yeah not to them yeah there's digestive systems are stro so strong and they are so individually hardy that they can endure quite a bit of stuff that would poison others like drinking raw turpentine yeah the uh the bulgs and the clacks bulgs and clacks that's what yeah uh, basically but... they're silver and copper respectively yeah their versions thereof uh but they include in the third section of the troll pack a series of encounters and adventures. Uh, mm -hmm. So aside from, like, if you're thinking to yourself as we talk about troll pack, oh, okay, so this is ecology of and how to build characters from and, yeah. like, how to build them, like, both as opponents. Yeah, the third book into Usdom has all the adventures uh, that you can play as trolls as well as interacting with them with traditional adventuring. And this is now published, like, as, you know, the troll pack, which is all of that material in a single-bound edition softback. It's uh, what, 216 pages? Was that it? Yeah, 216, no, 217. Yeah. Yeah. 217 well, printed pages. Uh, and oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> uh, adventures that would be relevant. I think they're probably, in my opinion, ways to harvest some of these, even if this was not the emphasis. If like you didn't have a troll player in the party. You could probably adjust some of these and tweak them so that yeah. players could still make use of them. Exactly. But ideally, all right, now I'm going to let you have this. Uh-oh. I'm going to get it. If a campaign can have freaking ducks in it in RuneQuest, it can also have trolls. No. And you know what? I thought I was going to get punched Here, in the nose. No, here's a game that, uh, at least with Troll Pack, uh, they have made it possible for you to fully make proper use of a trollish member of the party to spice up. Like, I'm not saying run every adventure in this in one big run, uh, but, you know, it would be terrific if you have a troll in the party. This suddenly makes possible a number of adventures that they have included here. Yeah, that will reveal their culture and, and background. Yeah, it makes a nice in yeah. for that. And, and then, you know... And, 
they did that with their duck material too. But I, I want to, I, I just ducks happened. have a lot of uh, baggage. No, they got a lot of bill. Yeah, there's a there's a lot on the bill that they. A lot of billable out. hours on that. Now uh, that having been said, I'm just not that big of a fan of the the whole duck concept because it mostly came out of sheer comedy. But that's also a facet of this book. There are some very funny things in here. The and, troll, the troll burger made with real trollkin. Yeah. Uh, the well, the rules for troll ball, which yeah, boy, if you think a rugby match is something. Wait till you try troll ball. And then the Thunder Breath Restaurant's finest in troll cuisine. Uh, that got me. Okay. I'd, I'd been giving this the very serious look through and I, I'd had my eye on the prize, you know, really like looking at this material as a game master and like in terms of game analysis and quality of material. And then I got to like page 215 near the end and I get their, their trollish restaurant menu uh, with, you know, <laughs> Octopus tentacles, a jellied herd man, batter fried pixies served with a generous portion of roof rats and a side order of toadstools, your choice of dressing. Uh, and it goes on. Okay. It keeps it. Never forget that, you know, like whether I approve of trolls or not, and this, this is a tip of the hat back to Mr. Schnarr. Uh, it's not always about what I enjoy. It's also about how much love the people creating it put into it and what other people will like. Uh, and so much like with the ducks, you know, what I learned from this, what like made me pause for a moment and remember was that they always had a tongue in cheek sense of humor. Like even back in 82, uh, you know, being the new kids on the block and trying to make a serious go at printing their games. These people never let their sense of humor disappear. Right. They have always had it and never disrespected right and for all those out there hey how did they get better if they don't use fire well that's an interesting thing is once trolls were shown the proper use of fire in food because they're absolute absolute gourmands if there's one thing that they appreciate it's a well-prepared prepared meal and when people showed them what fried foods were they said you know what fire we'll, we'll do we'll deal with fire yeah it will require some caution Right. But I think we can make this work for us because it, it's certainly varying the diet, you know. Right. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, fried That's food. the one time where trolls will actually, you know what, uh, we're going to put it in a closed coal stove and burn it slow and dimly, and but it makes it really hot. And wow, that's what we do it for. Yeah, wearing some super heavy leather gloves and trying to stay away from that fire as much as we can, but like man this finished product is going to be worth it food is worth it metal not so much wait till these people get a hold of the deep fried twinkie mm. <laughs> all right <laughs> well hey uh not much to point out here uh, negatives on troll pack there's not a lot of you can say like mike said you could possibly say i didn't want this much detail or it doesn't fit or with me not doesn't fit my typical D campaign you would have a hard time applying this kind of level of detail to the existing trolls so you would be better introducing them as uh, the us in your D&D campaign if you wanted to. Yeah, if you wanted to make some key adjustments and alter them, uh, you know, the various types of trolls uh, into a offshoot of trolls that you could deal with, like uh, a mountain-dwelling folk uh, that, you know, are certainly uh, bestial in appearance, 
but actually, you know, it can be a little surly. You know, they can be convivial once they're convinced that you don't view them hostilely. Uh, that, like, if you make it abundantly clear that you're there to uh, engage in trade or be peaceable, then yeah, you can get along with them. Uh, you just have to understand that they have a radically different perspective about life than you do. They're used to being able to break bones of each other yeah. and have them heal over a period of time. Yeah, so the the considerations that most of us would make about that kind of thing, they don't really consider that that bad. That uh, anthropologically, once again, you see the the genius of the people at RuneQuest. They get the the cultural relevance of major physiological differences. Like, oh, we regenerate. Wounding my best friend is like saying hello. You know, I each day we greet each other by punching each other in the head or smacking each other over the head with large clubs. Yeah, I, and that's the, that's the hello tap. Oh, uh, now of course, like to the human, it's like okay, uh, you know, like six weeks later you wake up, uh, and it took an act of the gods to bring you back to life. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, goes over way less well with the uh, smaller, more fragile peoples of the realms. But that's the thing about this. Uh, Stafford and Peterson and Perrin had what I think uh, was a much greater depth of understanding of the differences between cultures as something that was uh, valid, you know, that, that mm -hmm. and that it was relevant, that it has an impact on how you deal with one another. And RuneQuest is filled with that and the complexities that that brings. So now if you want a game where it's just go in a hole in the ground and punch something in the snout and kill it, then take its loot, that's great too. Okay, I, I had a lot of fun doing that. But I do got to say, this is this is for the other gamer, the person who wants yeah, something it's more. Yeah, it's a little bit more thoughtful, but it's also just as much fun. And uh, yeah, so I think that's high praise indeed. And so we're going to wrap our review up and then uh, we're going to take a brief break and be right back. So stick around. All right. Well, that'll do it for our troll pack review. And of course, we're doing a little wrap up here. Yeah, I really liked uh, troll pack back in the day, and I'm glad that we got a chance to take it out of the box, so to speak. We're all for a new audience. If you haven't looked at it before, definitely look at it now. It's, uh, you can get the PDF off of uh, Drive Through RPG or from Johnstown's uh, collective. But uh, any final thoughts for you, Mike? All right. Uh, oh man, the price point isn't bad at twenty nine ninety nine for the physical copy and an attractive softbound. Uh, so, frankly. When you weigh in at about 217, 218 pages, mm -hmm. uh, and you pack this much material uh, comprehensively in there, yeah, this is a value buy, okay? Now, if I were to rate it for different people, uh, I would not place it as a strong value buy for people whose chief interest is traditional uh, dungeon bashes or D&D uh, style mystery, uh, you know, the more mayhem oriented product. Uh, no, this is not it. Um, for the person who 
is interested in a very multi-layered campaign, uh, then this is a RuneQuest essential. Okay, I would I would include this as a list of things that, if you really want to have a deep, nuanced, uh, authentic, full-scale RuneQuest campaign, then this is a gotta this is a gotta get. And then number two, for the creative who isn't necessarily into RuneQuest, but wants to get an honest glimpse of other creatives, other writers other game makers, uh, and you want to have a look at their terrific work and see how they look at the world of creating a race, building its mythology, uh, building its traditions, its physiology, and their relationship with the world around them. Take a look at this, and I mean that, because after having looked at it, it makes you pause and re-examine everything that you write about whatever you're creating. Uh, and honestly, I think of some of the things that I've created over the years that I, I wasn't entirely satisfied with, but I couldn't put my finger on why. And in looking at Trollpack, I've seen a glimpse of like, oh, here's the stuff I missed. These are the blanks that I should have been filling in. This is why I wasn't happy. Uh, so I learned from reading this. So as a game creative, tool. I can't recommend it more. All right. Well, again, high praise indeed. And I think it's very worthy for this particular outing. So, hey, like I said, uh, tune in there next week. We're going to be covering the modules of from the UK. UK 1 and 2. Uh, Gauntlet and Sentinel. I'll totally remember that this time. Okay. And we'll find out what form of divination we'll probably ah, like yeah, use well, next. <laughs> Tea leaf reading's not my strong suit, man. Don't drink the stuff. <laughs> Never touch it. <laughs> That's why I'm the Tassiomancer. I prefer coffee. Oh, me too. You examine the grounds. All right. Well, hey, uh, thanks for sticking out with us. And, of course, uh, probably too late, but there would be a good idea. I'll probably put some spoilers about that whole t- new TSR thing. But uh, we'll be keeping you up to date as well as, uh, you know, kind of ran a little bit on time here, but... Uh, we'll be doing the uh, pack up uh, and review of the last year, probably as well. Um, we'll probably leave that for the last episode of the year. Probably think about it. Yeah, I wanted to kind of spread it out among three, but I don't think we actually got there. There's a lot of stuff to talk about these days. Fascinating times that we live in, not oh, just from huge. the uh, historical examples, but just in gaming in general. There's so much going on. Yeah, the impact in the way in which we game. Uh, very much uh, some of what we predicted uh, in early 2020 in our final sessions before we took our break uh, and in just after our break uh, yeah some of those adjustments to the way in which people game and pursue the hobby uh, came to fruition I mean they're, they're things that still have an impact now over a year and a half later so yeah we're gonna just have a peek back at you know what's going on what's changed what's changed for us so yeah stay tuned for those we're just going to make those inserts as we also include regular material so that uh, every episode will be action-packed oh, well action-packed yeah that's a term that shouldn't be used with our podcast <laughs> here we are all right well hey thanks everybody and uh, you have a great holiday season and may the dice always roll in your favor, favor.
we're out. See ya.